0: that we want to uh, deal with first and foremost this evening. Letitia Verhines, uh, Letitia and Spence have been part of our church for a number of years. Uh, is in urgent care facility. Is in an urgent care facility and requesting prayer. We don't have any more information. At least uh, that doesn't give me any more information than just that. So let's just agree together that Letitia is healed. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we speak healing to Letitia's body whatever the problem is Father we claim healing for her from the top of her head to the soles of her feet we thank you Father that you'll do your work your healing mercy in such a manner that the doctors themselves will be amazed and and that anybody and everybody connected with this situation will know it was the hand of God at work thank you Father for making it so in Jesus name amen amen praise the Lord I'll invite you to turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 2 Genesis chapter two will set the stage with what I'm sure you remember about the first chapter of Genesis. It tells us uh, about the different days, the first six days, that uh, that God uh, did His creative work, recreating the earth literally. It says that the earth became without form and void, and then God comes on the scene and begins to speak life into the earth. He speaks light and divides the light from darkness. He speaks the stars and the moon and the sun into existence. He speaks the vegetation into the existence over all the earth. He speaks the uh, life into the fowl of the air and the beast of the field and fish of the sea and so forth. It comes down to the sixth day and God makes man in his own image for the purpose of having authority or dominion over all the works of his hands. Now in chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, it said, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. That's the first six days that God created everything that we know of. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Now notice verse 2. It said, And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh, seventh day from all his work which he had made. Now, folks, he goes to great pains in the Hebrew language to say, That was it. Everything that I made was made in the first six days, and at the end of the sixth day, I stopped creating. God's relating this to Moses and telling of himself, telling of his own um, plan and purpose and the way things worked. He's literally saying, I didn't make anything after the first six days. Now, the reason that I'm emphasizing that is because so much of the church world thinks that God created sickness and disease to teach his people something. But if God created sickness and disease, it's got to be in these first six days. Where is it? It goes on to say, if we kept reading a little further into chapter two, it goes on to say that he saw that it was very good, literally perfect. Now, what made the earth perfect after the first six days of creation? Well, there was nothing that needed adjusting. There was nothing that needed amplification. God didn't have to go back on the sixth day and say, you know, the sun and the moon didn't turn out exactly the way I want, so let me spend a little bit more time on that. Everything was done. Everything was perfect. And there was nothing that could harm man. Nothing. Yet so much of the church thinks that God created and or uses sickness to teach his people, to punish his people, to try to instruct us in some way or another. Well, if God made sickness, which day did he make it on? He didn't make it. Sickness comes on the scene only after Adam and Eve fall. The curse comes upon the earth where God said the earth will bring forth thorns and thistles for you. You'll have to till the, the uh, earth through the sweat of your brow, which means farming and keeping up with the garden and stuff, uh, and the things that uh, Adam and Eve were commissioned with started off working in another way, not by the work of their hands. Well, how did it work for them? Folks, the only pattern that we have to follow, the only reasonable assumption we could make is that chapter 1 tells us how God created things how God exercised his authority over the earth and since man is created in his image then his words would do the job or be the means whereby he could do the job that God uh, set, set forth for him ten times in the first chapter of Genesis it said and God said and it was if man was made in his image then it stands to reason that man would exercise his God given authority on the earth in the same way that God used his authority to recreate the earth. If not that, then why does the Bible tell us how God did it? Why does the Bible make such uh, an important announcement to us, an important principle that man was created in the image and the likeness of God? God made man an exact copy of himself. Well, what did God do to exercise authority on the earth? He exercised his creative power through the words that he spoke. So then how was mankind intended to exercise his authority on the earth? through the words that he speaks. Now, folks, we know that the, that the plan and the purpose of God, the system of God was messed up when Adam and Eve fell. But let me ask you this. What did Adam and Eve's fall change? Well, we know it changed them. We know they went from being the righteousness of God in Christ, or, well, excuse me, I get caught in a church phrase there. We know that they were righteous because God breathed his own spirit, his own life into the bodies that he had fashioned for them. We know that they lost that righteousness, that right standing. Death entered the world. Spiritual death overtook them, just like God said that it would. In the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which I have commanded you not to eat, you shall surely die. Well, that's not physical death. They didn't die physically for 930 years. What death is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual death. He's talking about separation from God. And it was only after man was separated from God that he became subject to And came under the authority of the the characteristics or the offspring of spiritual death. Sickness wasn't around before they fell. But once sin enters the world and brings spiritual death upon all mankind. Now sickness and disease is, is part of the package for the world that we now live in. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost in power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now, folks, that's a very important statement. Actually, there's a story that goes along with that, and I'll relate the story before I make any other comments. John Alexander Dowie was a, an Australian minister. He was from Australia, and he was pastoring a church in, his, in a country town where he lived. And there was a plague that came through his town. And this plague had, had reclaimed or had um, taken hold of and killed a large number of people in his church. It was not just uh, limited to the people in his church, but the people in the city were dropping like flies. And it was a terrible, terrible way, that, painful way that they were dying. But of course, Brother Dowie as a minister He was called in a number of situations to try to help people and pray for people and so forth. But then when it got into his church, he asked the question. He finally got to the place where uh, the officials, the authorities in the city, they couldn't keep up with the dead bodies. There were more people dying than they had time to dig dig graves for. So it was a very, very serious situation because the, the disease was passing from one to another and with dead bodies piling up, ravaged by this infection or this disease, this plague, it, it was a real threat to the survival of the city. And Brother Dowie asked the Lord after he found out that there was somebody else in his church that had been uh, taken and stricken with this disease, he asked the Lord, he said, Lord, is everybody in my church going to die? And the Lord took him to Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good And healing, all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with them. In a moment of time, Dr. Dowie realized that sickness and disease was satanic oppression. It's not God trying to teach something, it's not God trying to work some greater knowledge or greater wisdom that we are too small to understand. Brother Dowie recognized that it was the work of the devil. He took that information and went to the place, the hospitals actually they had tents set up as makeshift hospitals because the, the, uh, the crowd was so big, there was such a great need. He said, I walked into that tent and there were several of my church members there. I went to their beds, commanded that sickness and disease to cease and desist in their bodies and he never lost another person since that time. He was able to help some others outside of his church too but he stopped the ravage of the plague that had come against his church and that single event Based on revelation from one scripture, Acts 10.38, started a healing ministry that is pretty much unparalleled by anybody other than Jesus himself. Now, Brother now he got off doctrinally, but he never lost the reality of the power of God and the knowledge of what God wants to do and has done through, our, through his people, his body, because of the work of Jesus. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. When God made an end of everything that he created, there was no trace, no sign, no anything related to sickness and disease. That's the work of the devil. And remember, Jesus said that I didn't come to do my own will, I came to do the will of the Father. Well, what was the will of the Father? Jesus healed everybody that had need of healing. Now, if Jesus healed everybody that had need of healing, and we'll go to some scriptures in just a moment that will prove that. If Jesus had uh, healed everybody that had need of healing, if there was just one person in those multitudes that was healed against the will of God, if God wanted just one person to be sick for the purpose of learning something or or, uh, experiencing some hardship for the greater glory of God or whatever other stupid phrases the modern day church world uses if just one person was healed outside of the will of God then Jesus could not be a a worthy savior that would mean he healed somebody outside of the will of God and that in itself would have made it sin it would have been sin because it was contrary to the will of God and Jesus would therefore be a sinner just like the rest of mankind but there wasn't one not a single soul in the Bible was refused sickness and disease Isaiah chapter 53 is considered the messianic chapter everybody recognizes that this is talking about the work that the savior would do would do from Isaiah's day has done from our day from our perspective Isaiah 53 verse 4 it says surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows the word born and carried the two words born and carried are Levitical terms They mean the bearing of something away, the taking of something away, and separating it from its original source. The word griefs and pains are translated other places throughout the the Old Testament. These Hebrew words are translated other places that they're used in the Old Testament as sickness and disease, literally sickness and infirmities. So here where it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows it means he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains now again like i said the words born and carried are important words because they're levitical terms this word born is used in talking about the scapegoat where on the day of atonement the high priest would would uh, there were two goats two sacrifices he had lay his hands on the one called the scapegoat and he would pronounce all the ills, all the evils, all the sins and iniquity of the people of the nation of Israel onto that scapegoat, that, uh, that animal. And that animal was carried out into the wilderness where the judgment of God would fall. It was turned loose in the wilderness and sometimes wild animals, wild beasts would kill it. Other times it might die of starvation. Other times it might die because it falls off of a ledge or something like that that would hinder it and, and he would starve to death perhaps. Nobody ever knew, and the priests were not allowed to stay out there to see. But everybody understood that the judgment of God would fall on the scapegoat instead of the people. In other words, this scapegoat bore their sins and the judgment of those sins that they were worthy of, worthy of being judged, worthy of being destroyed for. But instead, God set forth a means and a method whereby the sins of Israel were laid on that scapegoat's head. And then it was carried away into the wilderness, cut off the the land that the Lord instructed them to to take the scapegoat into was a land that was cut off from the living, which is a type of Jesus taking our sins to a place that was cut off from the land of living. He's talking about the lowest part of hell where Jesus went to pay the price for our redemption. Here the next thing it says is he carried our sorrows. Now the word carried is a Levitical term just like the word born. It means virtually the same thing. There's a little bit of shading or difference in the definitions but not much. And it's still talking about the same thing. It's talking about carrying a burden in place of another. So here where it speaks of Jesus and the work that he would do. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried away our sickness and he has carried our pains. He did away with those sickness and pains and notice the word surely. It's almost as if God knew that people would argue about whether or not this was for another generation. Surely. Now when he talks about surely, the only time the word surely is used in this chapter in the messianic chapter, it's not used in relation to sin. It's used in relation to sickness and disease. It's almost as if God could see into the future and recognize that nobody would argue the fact that Jesus carried away our sins. But not everybody would receive the fact that he carried away our sickness and our pains. Now if that was God's plan, that was a pretty good one, don't you think? Surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem and stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The only difference between transgressions and iniquities in this context is he's talking about he paid the price for Adam's original sin and then he paid the price for your individual sins. See, if Jesus just paid the price for Adam's sin and didn't do anything about our sins, then we'd still be spiritually dead. We'd still be unable to come to a Savior. We'd have to pay the price for our own wrongdoing but Jesus paid the price for Adam's wrongdoing and he paid the price for yours and mine. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, we are healed. Now folks, who does this belong to? You got a lot of people saying that sickness, God's healing power for sickness changed or passed away when the last apostle died you got a lot of people that believe that God, uh, Jesus specifically, delegated healing power to his disciples, those which became the apostles. But when the last apostle died, all that was done away with. Well, if that's the case, then we have to take part of that scripture out or change the wording in some way or another so that everybody understands that it's not for us, but it's for some, some younger or past generation. And folks, we have to be honest, if we're going to be honest, which I believe is a requirement for understanding the things of God. If we're going to be honest, we have to identify who is our. When it says he was wounded for our transgressions, who's our? He was bruised for our iniquities. Who's our? Who does our belong to? Now granted, in in Isaiah's day, Isaiah probably thought that meant just the Jews. Because the Gentiles had no way unto God. But if you read a little further in Isaiah's prophecy, in about chapter 61, you'll find out that he prophesied then that the Gentiles would trust in his name too. So whether it was true at this point in time when he prophesied these things in Isaiah 53, at least by the time that he gets to Isaiah 61, some period of time later, I don't know how long it would have been. But by the time he gets to the prophecy in Isaiah 61, he recognizes that the name of the Messiah Would not just be for the salvation work of the Messiah. Would not just be for the Jews. But would also be for the Gentiles. And that's what Paul told us. Paul wrote to the church in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Why did he do that? Verse 14 goes on to say that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Through faith that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through faith. Well, then when Paul says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, who's us? Does Paul The word us means the person doing the speaking and the people that are reading the letter. So when Paul said Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, the most literal translation of that would be Paul saying he redeemed me and he redeemed you, the Gentiles and the Jews of that day. But we know that's not the entirety of that we know that the rest of mankind is included in the price that jesus paid for our redemption everybody believes that nobody would say that when the last apostle died the last chance for salvation was over because what god did he did only for that generation now folks the reason i'm making that comparison is because if the we are healed has passed away then the wounded for our transgressions and the bruised for our iniquities has passed away too. It can't be both ways. It can't be that the price that Jesus paid for sin is for every generation, but the price he paid for sickness was just for that present generation. That cannot be. If that were the case, then the Holy Ghost lied to us because the inspiration of the Holy Ghost was that the same hour is the we that were healed. The same hour for whom he was wounded For our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. That's the same group that he's saying we are healed. Same exact group. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. And again it's almost as if God knew that these things would be controversial. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he knew that. But if he had known. That the church would become what it is. And there would be so much argument and so much controversy over the subject of healing. If he had known that was going to be the case, then he did a bang up job of giving us some scriptures, New Testament scriptures, and applied them in such a way that we would see that it wasn't just for the people to whom it was written in those days, but to us who read it now. Matthew chapter eight, verse 16, it says, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Now, I want you to see this. He healed all that were sick. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 38, he said, I came not to the earth to do my own will, but to do the will of the him that sent me. So if Jesus heals all that were sick, that has to mean that it was the will of God for everybody to be healed. Has to mean that. So here it says, when the evening was come, he healed all that were sick along with casting out the spirits with his word. And he healed all that were sick. Notice verse 17, that or so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, folks, a lot of the church world will say, yeah, but that's talking about them. That clearly proves it right there. That's talking about them. Well, folks, if that's talking about them, the people in Jesus day, the people in Jesus earthly ministry, then why did Jesus delegate healing power to the first generation of the church? And when he delegated healing power, we see it taking place. We see what Peter did. Peter and John did in Acts chapter 3, where they healed the crippled man at the beautiful gate of the temple. Peter and John don't bat an eye at that. They know that that's the way it's supposed to be. They know that that's the power of God, the healing power of God that they had on them when Jesus was alive. And then Jesus delegates healing power in his name after he's raised from the dead. They marvel at the fact that everybody was so stunned at this occurrence. Now, apparently, what happened with Peter and John uh, uh, in the course of that event was that people were looking at them like they had some special power, just like the modern day church does today. Modern day church, by and large, says, Well, the apostles had that power. Well, why did they have that power? Because they were apostles? Why did they have that power? Because there's healing power in the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus was delegated to the church. And given to the church as a, as a weapon against the works of the enemy. So get, the, get what he's saying. Matthew eight sixteen he healed all that were sick so that, so that, so that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet Saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, folks, notice that this is part of this is Matthew's quoting part of Isaiah fifty three four. Surely he has borne our pain, our sicknesses and carried our pains, but we esteemed him smitten of God and afflicted. This is what he's quoting here in Matthew eight seventeen. He's saying, "Remember what Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would do." Well, what did he prophesy? He prophesied that Jesus would take our infirmities, carry, uh, bear our infirmities, or our sicknesses rather, and carry our pains. And some people will say, yeah, but see, that was fulfilled. It was fulfilled right then. Well, folks, if we went a, just forward another couple of chapters, we'd find that the Bible talks about the fulfilling of another prophecy where the Gentiles trust in his name. Well, the Gentiles didn't trust in his name when he was here on the earth. There are a few isolated incidents Like the Syrophoenician woman and the centurion in Matthew chapter 8. There are a couple of isolated cases where people outside the kingdom or the nation of Israel came to Jesus and received from the goodness of God. But by and large, the Gentiles didn't trust in him. Jesus didn't even minister to the Gentiles until the second year of his ministry had ended. He didn't even go places where there were many Gentiles. Everything that happened in those first two years of his earthly ministry happened among the Jews. Because he was first sent to the Jews. And remember that was part of his explanation to the Syrophoenician woman. He said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So even at that time, there was no ministry, active ministry to the Gentiles. But she turned it around and she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fell from the master's table. And Jesus responded, great is your faith, be it unto you even as you will. But even at that point in time, Jesus said, I'm only sent to the Jews. I'm not sent to the Gentiles. But he could never fail to respond to faith. Even if it was coming from the Gentiles, even if it was coming from the centurion, he never was in a position, never wanted to be, but he certainly never operated in any position where faith was was ignored. Smith Wilkersworth said that God will pass over a million people to get to one person standing in faith. I want that to always be me. How about you? So, it says that he healed all that were sick, verse 16, for the purpose of fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, if the fulfillment was not him ministering just to this single crowd, Healing all that were sick in this single crowd. If that's not what fulfilled the ministry or fulfilled the prophecy, rather, that Isaiah said and gave to us in Isaiah 53 4 and 5, then what about this story shows us the fulfilling of the prophecy of Isaiah? Can you see it? What fulfilled the prophecy? The fact that everybody was healed. In other words, The only way that Isaiah's prophecy can be fulfilled is for healing to belong to everybody. The healing of all that were sick in Matthew 8, 16. The fact that nobody was left out. Nobody was turned away. Nobody failed to receive. That was the fulfilling of Isaiah's prophecy. To show and to prove that it was available for everybody. So the hour, the word O-U-R of Isaiah 53, 5 includes us. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, that's talking about blessings in in a material sense. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. The work that Jesus did to provide for redemption from sin and spiritual death was exactly the same work, exactly the same shedding of his blood that brings us to the place where we can say without equivocation, healing is for everybody. Healing is for all. Folks, I want you to turn with me now to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. For the sake of time, we'll just refer to Luke chapter 4 because it's talking about the same event mark finishes it up better than luke chapter 4 does but luke gives us information about what jesus preached that's valuable to us too we'll start in mark chapter 6 verse 1 and he went out from thence and came into his own country and his disciples followed him and when the sabbath was come he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished saying from whence has this man these things and what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hand? Is this not the son of the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Now, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, tells us what he preached. When he went into the synagogues, he opened the scrolls that were uh, Isaiah's scrolls to chapter 61. And he began reading from Isaiah what Isaiah prophesied and then declares that that prophecy was relating to him or pertains to him. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and recovering of sight to the blind, to preach liberty to the captives, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. It says, when he, put the, when he finished reading the scrolls, he sat down in the synagogue, and the eyes of everybody was fastened on him. That's the same event, the same place, the same occurrence that this is talking about in Mark chapter 6. And remember, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, in the, but in his own country. Mark 6, 4 says the same thing. Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and his own house. And he could there. Please notice verse six, verse 5 of chapter 6 of Mark. And he could there do no mighty work. Please notice it does not say he would not. It says he could not. Now if you look up the word could, you'll find out in the Greek, it simply means he was unable. He was unable. Now the Spanish translation, if you've got a good Spanish Bible and can read Spanish, you'll find out that it says he tried and failed. Where he could there do no mighty work, the Spanish translation based on the, the, uh, the original documents and text of the New Testament Greek, says he tried and failed. Now we don't think about Jesus if, even possibly failing in anything, do we? But folks, you need to realize that without faith it's impossible to receive from God. Even if the one delivering or attempting to deliver the things of God to you is the Son of God himself. God will not usurp your will. Or anybody else's for that matter. He doesn't force anything on anybody. If God was in the habit of forcing something on somebody. Then why didn't he force salvation upon the whole earth. And let's get out of here tomorrow. We know that's his will. He will have all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well if, Jesus, if God wants everybody to be saved. And he has the power to make everybody be saved. Then why didn't he force people to get saved? Because God gave man authority on the earth. He gave you authority to choose what you will have, good or bad. He gave you the information of the goodness of God and all the things that Jesus provided for us and purchased for us through his own blood. But whether or not you take hold of it is your choice, not God's. God's already chosen for you to have it, and that's why he made a way. But you have to choose to take advantage of the way that he made. So it says, and he could there do no mighty work. The Son of God, who had the Spirit of God without measure... Who they know and have heard of as doing miracles in Capernaum. They know this. The people at Nazareth have heard the stories. That's why they say. Who is this that has done these mighty works. And these great miracles and such. And Jesus could there do no mighty work. He couldn't open any blind eyes. He couldn't heal any cripples. He couldn't cleanse any lepers. And he could there do no mighty work. Save or accept. Here's all he was able to do. Save or accept that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks. The word sick means sickly. Vine's expository dictionary of New Testament words says of this word, people with minor ailments, not too much wrong with them. So the only thing he was able to do is minister to a few folks that didn't have much wrong with them and laid his hands on them. But even in the lowest measure of faith that he found in Nazareth, he still healed those that would allow him verse 6 bears this out and he marveled because of their unbelief he marveled because of their unbelief he was astonished that they forfeited the blessings, the goodness, the healings, the miracles of God because of their own thoughts he marveled because of their unbelief he tries to counteract it by going around about the villages teaching now folks I want you to turn with me to John chapter 5 I'm going to start in verse one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folks, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season. I'll add that the season had to be unknown. If he showed up every, every Thursday morning at 10 o'clock, then they'd know when to gather. But they didn't know when it, was, when it would happen, and so they're there all the time. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now, folks, I want you to realize this. The opportunity for God that, that God made available to these people was not dependent on the severity of their condition. There wasn't some triage set up where the most severe cases were put right on the edge of the pool where they could just roll in. And don't you know that there were times and situations that created very, very difficult circumstances and conditions for people because the people that are the most likely to move quick enough to be the first one are the ones that had the least amount wrong with them. And it's very possible, even probable in my thinking, that there were a lot of people with very severe conditions that didn't get into the water first because of the severity of their condition. So you have to identify the system that they had wasn't fair in any sense or or manner whatsoever. nobody's sitting back saying well look I've just got a broken arm I'll let you go first can you imagine what the troubling of the water must have brought for these five porches full of people that were sick history tells us that people would hire assistants people that would help them to be the first one in the water now folks I don't know how it works but if it was me I'd be sitting in the water but apparently that didn't work either because if it had worked, then the whole thing would, would be people sitting in the water. You know they've tried this. Anybody that was desperate for healing has tried anything and everything they could. It doesn't say that it happened once a week or it happened once a month. There's no telling how often it was going to happen or when it was going to happen. And I see people, I can just imagine that people were there ready to kill somebody to keep them from getting ahead of them but folks the whole purpose of the angel coming down to trouble the water so that the first person that got in was healed was to show the healing mercy of God but what can we see about this healing mercy we can certainly see that God didn't operate in such a way that everybody that got in the water got healed just the first one just the first one So when people talk about God's mercy and they cry out for God's mercy, that's a wonderful thing to do. Crying out for God's healing mercy is exactly what the Bible instructs us to do. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he's not looking for the sickest person. He searches for faith. He searches for faith. And a certain man was there, verse 6, which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. When Jesus saw him lie, apparently he's crippled, and knew that he had now, been in the, had now been a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Now, folks, I want, you to, I want you to get this. They're in the place of God's healing mercy, they're in a place where they're used to and familiar with the healing power of God coming, not generated by the desires of the people but by the goodness of God himself. And they're in a situation where they have to fight in some way or another. I don't know if I literally mean coming to blows, but I'm sure that would have happened sometimes too. But where they have to fight, they have to struggle, they have to exert effort to get to the healing power of the waters. And you can see that a lot of these people perhaps are crippled can't move. Some can't move at all, I'm sure. Some can't move quickly. And that seems to be this guy's attitude. But look at what Jesus asked. He said, what's your future? You going to die sick? Will you be made whole? Now, the only thing, we don't know what's happened. We don't know the the circumstances surrounding this. Even though it's the fifth chapter in in John's uh writing in the letter of the gospel that he wrote most people most theologians agree that this was just before the last week of his ministry here on the earth well whatever this guy this particular guy and many others that are with him in these five porches full of people it seems that their conditions are such that they never were able to get to where jesus was ministering they're still looking for the god-initiated means of healing and health but Jesus is healing multitudes there were a lot of times where it says he healed the whole multitude he healed all that were sick that we they were looked at in Matthew chapter 8 just a minute ago Jesus is simply trying to insert himself in the minds of the people not to look for the angel to come and trouble the water anymore but to realize that God had troubled the waters of mankind by sending his own son So he asked him, he said, "Wilt thou be made whole? Jesus is looking for faith. He doesn't find it. At least not in this guy. He said, "Wilt thou be made whole? And then the impotent man, the crippled man answered him and said, sir, when I have no man, when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steps down before me, just as we imagine. And Jesus said unto him, rise, take up your bed and walk. I want you to notice something, folks. Jesus does not find faith from the man. He doesn't say, according to your faith, be it unto you. He recognizes the man is looking for help, physical help, literal help to get into the water. And that is his only hope for any kind of normal life. If he doesn't have that, he doesn't have a plan B. He doesn't say there's this guy named Jesus that's talked about. He's preaching, if I don't get healed by the angels troubling the water today, I'm planning to go to his crusade next week. His future is the water, or at least he thinks so. But Jesus troubles the waters of mankind by saying, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day, it is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. And he answered them and said, He that made me whole, the same one is is who told me, Take up your bed and walk. And then they asked, What man is that which said unto you, Take up your bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not, that means he didn't know who it was that had healed him, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Perhaps you've heard some of the same things that I have over the years where people say if Jesus was still in the healing ministry like he was when he was here on the earth and if he's delegated healing power to mankind, to, to the church, then why don't you people that believe in healing and the healing power of God just go clear out the hospitals? Why don't you just go to the hospital and heal everybody This, there? Folks, I would submit to you this is the closest thing that we have to a hospital right here in John chapter 5. It's a collection of people that are halt, lame, maimed, waiting for the troubling of the water. Jesus didn't heal those. There were a lot of people, all except the one crippled guy, that were left sick and in their diseased condition. So we have to be careful when we talk about the healing of everybody. See, when Jesus came to the earth, he didn't come to heal everybody. That's not the point. The point is, not one person that came to him for healing was turned away. But there were a lot of people. Nazareth, we just saw it. There were a lot of people that were sick with, condi- with conditions that were very severe. We have to accept that, uh, that leprosy was a, a thing just like it would be in other cities. Blind eyes, crippled legs, and so forth. What Jesus told them, that the spirit of the Lord was upon him. And he was anointed to heal the sick. But the thing that he was anointed to do. The will of God for that city. Was forfeited because of their unbelief. Here Jesus shows that he's the source of God's will. He's the means whereby God heals the sick. But after he made his point with the one guy. He doesn't stay to heal anybody else. He doesn't even stay to preach and say, did y'all see what I did for this crippled guy? God wants the same thing for you. We know that he did. We know that God did want the same thing for everybody else that was in that place. But God doesn't always initiate healing on his own. That's why some of the greatest, according to F.F. To F. Bosworth, he said some of the instant healings are a curse to us rather than a blessing. He said because if somebody is healed instantly, then they never build their faith to stand against sickness and disease. And more often than not, the same sickness comes back upon them and takes them on the second time. Now he had enough experience with the healing ministry and the crusades and the multitudes that he preached to and the healings, the number of healings that he saw, which were in the hundreds of thousands, doctor confirmed cases of healing. He said the greatest blessing is to receive healing on your own faith because then you're strengthened by the word of God so that you never have any real trouble with sickness and disease thereafter. folks we all like things to be instant we all like instant results but there's something more important than being instantly delivered from sickness and disease and that is to find out the power of God is available to you to drive out every sickness and every disease and every trace and every symptom nobody really stands in line or volunteers for that but Jesus the son of God who's full of compassion the compassion of the Lord was over all of his works Even the compassionate, loving God doesn't just indiscriminately heal everybody. And that's where so many people get the wrong idea. So many people that refuse to believe in the healing power of God working today, just like it did in the early days of the church and just like it did in Jesus' ministry here on the earth. People that refuse to accept that, they don't recognize the value of the power of God in the area of healing. because after all we all want instant results wouldn't it be great if we could find somebody that had the healing power of God on them in such a way that everybody they touched was instantly healed every time and folks I'll be honest with you it looks to me like a lot of people are running around chasing after who that somebody might be the reality is there is no somebody that can do it all there is somebody that did it all his name is Jesus, and he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. So Jesus conveyed himself away from the crowd. He didn't stop and heal all that were sick there. And that means there, there are times where God initiates healing on his own. Without question, he does it. Finally, turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 32. It says, And it came to pass as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. He's been crippled for eight years. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. And all they that dwelt at Lydda and his Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now notice what Peter says. He said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ healed thee. It's presented in a present perfect tense in the King James. Jesus healeth thee, which means Jesus is still in the healing business. Well, we know that's true. Acts 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if Jesus ever was the healer, and thank God he was, he'll always be the healer because he never changes. But this phrase that Peter uses... Jesus Christ healeth thee. He's not saying the healing power of God is now ministered to thee. He's saying what Peter wrote to the church in 1 Peter 2.24. About Jesus being hanged on a tree. For us as our substitute. And with his stripes Peter says 1 Peter 2.24. And with his stripes or by his stripes we were healed. That's exactly the same phrase in the Greek that he's using here. He's saying Aeneas. Jesus Christ healed you. In other words, he's saying by the stripes of Jesus, and he is, you are healed. And immediately he was made well. Immediately he was made well. Now there's a couple of things that might be of interest to you here, folks. We've already talked about uh, Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John healed the guy at the beautiful gate of the temple. Notice that Peter heals another crippled guy here in Acts chapter 9. I'm not sure I can't say with certainty because the Bible doesn't give us absolute confirmation of this. But it seems that Peter had either a gift of healing in the area of, of cripples. Or he had special faith in operation in him by the will of God. Because you remember even after they are uh, threatened. After they heal the man at the beautiful gate of the temple. The Jewish council, the Jewish leaders bring them in and threaten them and not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. But they go back to their own company and pray that God would grant them boldness to speak his word by stretching forth his hand to heal and the signs and wonders may be done in the name of the holy child Jesus. You remember the prayer in Acts chapter 4? Well it tells us immediately after that that the, the place shook where they were together and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. It goes on in chapter 5 to talk about how that people would bring the sick in the city of Jerusalem and lay them down on the streets hoping that Peter would pass by and that his shadow would bring healing to them. Well, the fact that it talks about them laying on uh, couches or cots or beds or however it refers to them indicates that they may be crippled too. Most everybody that Peter healed after Jesus' resurrection were cripples. So again, that may mean that he has a gift of healing in the area of healing cripples or special faith that operates as the Lord wills or as the Spirit wills to make the lame walk one way or the other i'm not sure which way it is peter seems to have something extra in that area and what did peter write to the church that identifies god's will concerning healing the sick he quotes isaiah 53:5, and with his stripes we were healed isaiah says by his stripes we are healed because isaiah is looking forward to the messiah to come Peter, on the other hand, is looking backwards at the Messiah that did come and says, by his stripes, we were healed. Folks, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. It has nothing to do with the will of God. The will of God has already been expressed. The will of God was made known when Jesus came to the earth and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses when it tells us again in acts 10:38 that god anointed jesus of nazareth with the holy ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil it shows very clearly that the will of god which was to destroy the works of the devil first john 3 8 says the whole reason jesus was made manifest is to destroy the works of the devil well we know the works of the devil had to include healing because jesus spent so much of his ministry healing every manner of sickness and every manner of disease So Isaiah looks forward and we see Jesus who carries out the will of the Father by healing everybody that came to him for healing. Now you would think that with all the church world says, about some people, some situations, some conditions, some instances, where God's trying to teach people through sickness and disease, you would think that in all the the multitudes that Jesus healed, the thousands that Jesus healed, and I I don't know what thousands means. We could say that 5,000 people were healed in his ministry, but we could also say that 100,000 people were healed in his ministry. How would we know? How big are the multitudes that healed the sick? There's no way to quantify it. But whatever it is, and whatever we imagine that number to be, of all those people, there was not one that ever came to Jesus and Jesus said, you know, I'm going to have to encourage you to be joyful in the middle of your sickness because this is God's plan and purpose for you. Do you know why he couldn't say that? Sickness and disease is never God's plan and purpose for anything or anybody. Ever. Not ever. Ever. By his stripes we were healed. By his stripes we were healed. Oh, that our eyes would be open to that reality. We see more and more as we go here a little and there a little, according to the scripture. But if the church could ever have its eyes opened wide to see it as Jesus saw it, to really do the works of Jesus here on the earth, it wouldn't take long to reach the world for, with the gospel of Jesus wouldn't take long at all we look at the, at the evangelization of the world as a difficult thing folks it's not tough at all Coca-Cola has evangelized the world <clears throat> John Osteen said of all the missionaries journeys and trips and, and campaigns that he went on in the, the most remote places in the earth he said it wouldn't matter if you were on a uh, a trail to a hut in backwoods africa you could find a coke bottle he said there's two things that you can always find no matter where you go in the world he said you can find a little woman praying and coca-cola now that may be a slight exaggeration but by and large the world has been evangelized commercially by a lot of different countries companies rather if the church could see the power that we have because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we could reach the world in no time. I don't see the evangelization of the world as being a 20-year project. If we do it with signs and wonders like the early church started off, we can do it almost overnight because the world is hungry for the power of God. The world is hungry for the healing power of God. And healing has always been the dinner bell for salvation. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for what you've given us. We thank you, Father, that your plan, your purpose, your will is to heal all that are sick. So, Father, we take hold of your word just simply by faith. And we say even as the word of God says, Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we were healed. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of sickness and disease being made a curse for us so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. The blessing of the healing power of God would come upon the Gentiles, would come upon us, Father. We say as your word says. Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And with his stripes we are healed. Thank you, Father. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Because we're children of God. Children of God. Free from all the bondage of the enemy. Free from every sickness and free from every disease. Free from poverty and lack free from sin and spiritual death. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. We thank you, Lord, that you've always been our healer and you always will continue to be. We bless you, Father. And we thank you for the truth of your word. In Jesus' name. Say it with me, I am healed. By the stripes of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.